Summer brings the heat, especially among those who are very online. Not long ago, lots of people were yelling at the chosen biblical fiction TV series because one of their crew members was flying a bad flag on set, as spotted briefly in one behind-the-scenes video. After that, two of the disciple actors got bothered about the criticism and they started calling fans phobes, and they have since apologized for that, but not before a lot of controversy ensued. Behind all of this yelling is one legitimate concern. Christians are hiring non-Christians to help make stories and websites and other things. Is this allowed? Or does the Bible require Christians to create culture only by working with other Christians? Welcome anew to Fantastical Truth, the Christian podcast, only Christians behind the microphones here at lorehaven.com, helping you explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I still choose to watch The Chosen and not to boycott it because I was chosen to be a fan before the creation of the world. I, I don't know how all this works, but this is episode 166. Should Christians hire non-believers to help make fantastical stories? Zach, right out of the gate with that fatalistic Calvinism, <laughs> but we're not going to cancel him. We're going to accept him with our free will. Please accept me too with your free will. We are the chosen fans here, but this episode isn't just about that. We're going to bounce off the fracas, which is still ongoing. Zach, I think this past Sunday, as we release uh, Dallas Jenkins, the showrunner of the show, uh, has done a live stream answering more questions about it. Uh, but he's already addressed this uh, controversy that broke a couple of weeks ago because some eagle-eyed critic who seems not to like the show much anyway, saw a little pride flag, uh, kind of about the size that you might get uh, at the dollar store in the United States, stuck inside a crew member's uh, filming equipment, and it happened to be glimpsed not in the show itself, but in a behind-the-scenes video. And that seemed to say to a lot of people, whoa, uh, this show is compromised. Uh, this show has been uh, infected by traitors and spies and malfeasance. And maybe we ought to just cancel the whole thing. Uh, but Zach, you're not canceling the whole thing. Neither am I. We have questions. Uh, we wonder if things could be done differently. But uh, altogether, I think we want to be more realistic about what it takes to make Christian-made creative works. Yeah, you know, Stephen, in related news, when King Solomon was building the temple, there were some Babylonians working on that project, and one of them was spotted wearing a Babylonian flag. Hopefully this will become a Babylon Bee headline. I submitted it in the headline forum, but that's kind of what we're talking about here. But realistically, Solomon did work with non-Israelites to build the temple. Now, were they writing new entries uh, into the law of God? Uh, were they allowed into the psalmistry, if that's a word, uh, where David and all of his artisans were putting together these songs for the people of God? No, it's a little bit different uh, when you're a day laborer helping to build God's house. Uh, and you are a full-time minister preaching at God's house. Yeah, so we're, we're going to get into that and all kinds of related issues about Christian productions, Christian businesses, nonprofits, for-profits, churches, ministries, uh, all kinds of uh, shenanigans, merchandising, and how that relates to us as fans and, and many creators of Christian stories. We'll have a lot of those links we'll reference at the top of our show notes for this episode. 
First of all, though, Zach, speaking of Christian-owned business, our top sponsor, again, is Enclave Publishing. I know they have Christian authors, but do non-Christians print the books or make the paper, cut down the trees to make the paper? Absolutely. There's going to be non-Christians somewhere in your pipeline. Their next book, Estuary, is the first volume of the new Oceans of Time series by Lisa T. Berggren. It is out today, June 13th, our release date. History major Luciana Bettarini takes a summer job alongside her twin Domenico as a period actor at Castello Forelli in Italy. Easy for you to say. As incoming college seniors, this might be their last chance to spend meaningful time together, so she's soaking up every minute. But when Nico's theory that their lost Bettarini relatives have traveled through time becomes potentially real, and they might be able to follow, Luci fears they'll be forever divided. Return to the world first explored in Lisa T. Berggren's best-selling Rivers of Time series in Estuary, book one in the Oceans of Time series. Available June 13, wherever fantastic books are sold. Pre-order now online or from your favorite bookseller. It's also available in audio from Oasis Audio. This link and all the others from this episode's sponsor are in our show notes for episode 166 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, we got some concession stand items here, and I'm sure we may have a few uh, hovering throughout the uh, the rest of this content. First of all, we've already talked about The Chosen and our ideas about biblical fiction and some of the other chosen criticisms that I think a lot of people have in the back of their minds. Those links will be in the show notes if you want to catch up on our previous episodes. I think, though, Zach, a lot of the criticism that we've seen lately just about this show uh, actually come from unresolved disagreement that biblical fiction ought to even be a thing. I think some people are just kind of bypassing this argument and nitpicking the methods of making the show, whereas I think it's more intellectually honest. If you secretly believe we ought not really have the show or that it causes more harm than good, just say so. I think just say so, and let's have a discussion about that, although not on this podcast. And by the way, I do think it's right to discuss why was a symbol celebrating sin human pride, especially in sexual identity, uh, on the set of a show that's being run by Christians, largely for Christians, or anyone who's curious about Jesus Christ. It's right to ask that question. Uh, Zach, I've seen some chosen stands say, oh, this is just going to divide us. It's so divisive. Like, well, maybe it ought to divide us, at least in theory. You know, division is not by itself a sin. The real Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels promised some division as a result of his ministry is not a sin. Sometimes it is necessary. Our holy God discriminates. And really what divides people is sin and false teaching and this pressure to, like you said, pledge allegiance to the pride flag uh, because it, it really functions as a religion in a lot of ways and it doesn't tolerate blasphemy or, uh, or heresy. And so that's kind of what we're talking about is, is this sort of a, a pseudo religion that's creeping into the chosen and, you know, corrupting its content. But I'll just say really quick, I, you know, we, we can't escape the fact that this is happening during June, 2023 pride month. So it's called, although not as in full force this year as in last year, which is interesting. No pride month got a little nerfed this year. Yeah. I, I'm not in opposition to that, but nonetheless, if you drive down the highway and you see a pride flag flying in a business window, you know that the owner of that business put it there or approved it there. If you see it flying in front of a church, you know that the pastor approved it there and put it there. It wasn't just a worker who put it there or a contractor or a construction worker. It was the person who runs the business putting it there. 
So when people saw that on the set of The Chosen, they're just, a lot of them are asking, did the director put that there, approve that there, want that to be there? Short answer, no, (laughs) because a film set works a little differently than a business. People have their own individual workspaces, as Dallas Jenkins said. And so, yes, he's allowed it there. You know, we'll we'll get into more of his uh, discussion, but that's the difference of it wasn't put there by the chosen ink, as in they changed their logo on social media to have the pride flag. Uh, This wasn't Dallas holding up the pride flag. This was a individual that works for the chosen flying that. I believe he said it was an independent contractor, which apparently is how a lot of these businesses run. Zach, you mentioned uh, the rational objection if if someone saw church with that, you know, and we would uh, assume that this is a symbol that celebrates human sin, rebellion against God, even though it feels very spiritual and righteous to people. It is not. Uh, It is a false righteousness. We will stake our claim on that uh, moral claim, which is founded in Scripture. We saw it in front of a church or a business. Yeah, it's rational to assume, okay, you know, someone in charge put that there. But what then do you do with a thing like the Chosen Production Company, which is neither a church nor a non-Christian-owned business? It is a Christian business operating in the world, a Christian-owned business. And that leads to our real question for this episode. How do we discern the different rules for the church, a local church, uh, or a public business? And then what then do we do with what I'm going to call a third space? a Christian-owned business operating in the world, making stuff mostly for Christian viewers. That's the real question. How Christians ought to work with non-believers. We are, however, going to assume and defend the idea that, yes, Christians will need to work with non-believers. That is in the Bible. I will show you where it is. The only question is how we are to do this. What are the wisdom questions? How do we discern stuff? Do we make rules for the non-believers? Are we even allowed to do that in the business, uh, according to American law? Zach has some thoughts on that later. I think another question here is, and, and Zach, we may get into this a little bit later, specifically about the chosen or other, other criticisms about Christian-run creative enterprises, groups, writers' conferences, for example. A big question is, do we expect other Christians to do our job for us? I see, at least among the very online, kind of the, uh, the pastoral class, some of these guys who are kind of uh, young and restless and irritated at the chosen for maybe not doing their job for them. If I'm a pastor of a struggling church, for example, I can imagine how it might feel necessary to get on the social media and say, what is going on? This show is getting millions of dollars and lots of attention. And, and here I am struggling in my little ministry. And, and then along comes this compromising show that's not helping me do my job. Well, I would ask then, apart from any challenges about compromise, is the TV show supposed to do your job? Dallas Jenkins, the showrunner, and and other wise Christian creators would rightly say, no, my job is not to be a pastor. My job is not to run your church. If you have an issue with what I'm doing, please talk with your church and your pastor. I'm accountable to my pastor, Dallas Jenkins says, and you should be accountable to yours. Or if you're in a church with a plurality of elders, like I think it should be done, then you should have multiple pastors you can uh, consult about that. The show is not made to do your job. The Christian novel or song is not made to do the job of a sermon or Sunday school class or small group discipleship class. Are these things discipling you? Yes. Are they secondary to the role of the local church? Also, yes. I think people are getting those roles very confused uh, and they're taking the rules for a church and projecting them onto a show. The other question we'll deal with is, 
okay, assuming you get non-believers to work for you in a Christian-owned business operating in the world, is it okay then to let them have this kind of free speech? And where does that end? Uh, do I get to wear a hat supporting a politician if I'm on the chosen set? Apparently I do. Uh, I've not been on there. It's a hypothetical example. Do I get to wear a skull and crossbones? Do I get to wear a t-shirt that says hail Satan? Well, if I don't get to wear a t-shirt that says hail Satan, uh, maybe I'd feel a little pressure from those around me that that would not be very cool. But then there's this one guy wearing the pride flag, which a lot of people, you know, feel, I think rightly is basically the same as saying hail Satan. But the other important uh, question I think here is if a Christian business owner or creator makes a different decision on his production set uh, or for his publishing company that you would make, does that mean you cancel them? Aren't we reading in this old uh, cultural fundamentalist doctrine of secondary separation where you don't just separate from the heretic, you also separate from the guy who doesn't think the heretic is worth separating from? Uh, there's no end to that kind of thing. You will just end up constantly cutting off other believers over what is ultimately a secondary issue. I would draw the line at that. I'm not going to cut off from you if you do it because then I'm part of the problem. But I, I really think there's actually something gone wrong in your personality if you are constantly looking for people to separate from. I think that some people have some tragic backstories and we need to be aware how these backstories affect our view of this issue. Zach, any other uh, spicy or sweet concessions before you go to chapter one? Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of a purity spiral going on here. That's a term, yeah. That was the term that Jeremy Boring used, yeah. actually, when he condemned an article on his own Daily Wire website about this controversy. Yeah. Which, a little strange. On one hand, I appreciate him saying that, that we shouldn't have run this article because, hey, he's a conservative filmmaker that surely has worked with non-conservatives <laughs> to produce the films that Daily Wire has on their video streaming service. So he knows the reality of filmmaking, but, uh, you know, could he have said that better? Probably. But this is the reality of the filmmaking world. It's not chock full of Christians, much less conservative Baptist Christians. <laughs> there is a, uh, Christians are in the minority. Dallas said he is in the minority on his own film set. Now he happens to be the owner, so he can, he sets the direction for the story. And, you know, now a lot of people are wondering, well, okay, is he willing to touch this issue in the show? Because Jesus defined marriage as one man, one woman. Uh, Non-negotiable biblical truth there. Non-negotiable. Right. Whether or not they dramatize it in the show, by the way, they're yeah. showing it with the human relationship. Yeah. And, you know, or is it going to go the other way? And we're going to see, uh, gay characters in the, in the chosen. Uh, well, maybe we will, but then the real question is how does Jesus respond to them? Because we've already seen prostitutes <laughs> and we we've seen other characters caught in sin. And the, the thing that we have all loved about the chosen is that no one gets a pass because of their identity group or disability or whatever. Everyone gets confronted by their sin, uh, told to repent and is transformed. And I, what's the line they have? Like I was one way and then I was another way. Yeah. That describes repentance. Yeah. Yes. The show endorses repentance, God's law. Jesus is clearly there in this dramatized version of the show, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Uh, a lot of the very reformed critics of the show, by the way, just completely missed that. Whereas I went into the show looking for it. Like yeah. if we're going to do the whole nice Jesus just makes you ignore the mean old God from the old Testament shtick then peace, I'm out. But 
I don't have to be out because they don't do that. Yeah. Now, if we see a character with same-sex attraction that's given a pass, it's like, oh, that's okay. You, you, can, you can have that. Well, then, yeah, I, I would have a problem with the show because that's not how Jesus interacted with people. If they don't have that kind of character at all, it's fine. But are they willing to confront that issue on the show? We'll see. I don't think it's crucial that they do. But, you know, Stephen, outside of this, there, there's been a larger cultural discussion about the sin of Achan. Achan? Achan? How, how do you say it? I think it was Achan because once he fell into the pit, <laughs> that's what he <laughs> <it> was. <laughs> so after the Exodus, he was a man that kept a bunch of idols in his tent and tried to hide them. And then there came a judgment on the whole community because of this, and then they had to deal with it. A lot of people have mentioned this, really nothing related to the chosen, just more church politics kind of stuff uh, going on right now. The, the question has been asked, are there Achans in your camp? You know, are there people who are compromising with idols and you're allowing that to happen? Could someone, you know, make the case that allowing a pride flag on a Christian TV show set is allowing an Achan in the camp? Well, is the chosen set a church? <laughs> or or is the chosen set a covenant people yeah. uh, in one way or another a predecessor to the church right uh, and to understand that we need to explore what are the boundaries what are the expectations what's the definition of a local church which is our first chapter we'll define what church is according to at least first corinthians 5 which by the way zach the more i read it the more i realized that people are being extremely foolish including myself for not immediately bringing up this text in regard to an Achan-like sin among the camp, or more specifically, New Testament terms, an example of unrepentant immorality among Christ's people. I think the rule for a local church is that you show grace for newbies, but Christians, members of the local church, do have higher expectations. And there is a controversy I saw on one of my comment sections where someone said, well, if someone came into my church uh, with a with like a pride flag decal or a sticker on their backpack or something, uh, we would ask them to peel it off or leave. Uh, and I took a very hard line against that position. I thought, no, this actually is very close to the sin of partiality that James condemns in his epistle, uh, where someone wanders in. You know, maybe they're seeking, maybe they're they're there to cause a ruckus, but so long as they're not actually disruptive. Uh, leave them alone and teach them the gospel like every other time that you're in church. Maybe you tell, you know, maybe you make an extra point if you're the pastor to tell them exactly where they find the reference in their Bible, where that page number is in the Bible in the pew ahead of you, just knowing there's a, probably a non believer in there. But you don't ostracize that person. Now, if that person wants to join the church, then you got another issue. Either way, I think a lot of people just assume uh, that the chosen production studio or a Christian publisher. Uh, or a Christian conference, or even a, a, a Christian, any kind of Christian-owned business is going to be like a church. You've got to have rules. Only only Christians can work for that company, uh, whether or not they actually have some influence over the content. Uh, Zach, I think a lot of these expectations come from a certain kind of personality. I already mentioned that earlier, like the, my kind of a composite character of a pastor who's going on to Twitter ranting about the chosen, for example. I think that people who are familiar mainly with the church setting or the ideals of a church setting may expect this. 
And I think it's understandable you would expect that if you have a healthy experience with the church where, you know, these expectations for believers conduct have only helped the church grow spiritually and numerically, or maybe you had a bad experience with a church that didn't do this, that was acting like the Corinthian church that Paul condemns and you let people get away with it. So now you're looking at a Christian production and you're thinking, well, why would you let someone get away with that? This stuff is dangerous. You know, this hurt me when people let in the false teaching, and I don't want that to happen again. So I just want to acknowledge that I think these issues are very personal for people, even though, once again, this issue is not about you. You're not the star. You're not the hero of that story. It's another story. There's other people whom we don't know trying to work through these challenges. But the Apostle Paul does work through this challenge, and I think it's worth quoting. This may be dangerous, but it's worth quoting the whole short passage of 1 Corinthians 5, where the Apostle Paul is talking about sexual immorality and behavior expectations in the church. And he says to the Corinthian church, it's not the most awesome uh, faithful church in the world at that time. Verse one, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. By the way, break transcript here. A synonym for arrogant is pride. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled and in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Break read here for a moment. Uh, That's some Passover stuff about uh, how the law leads to uh, the gospel. We need not get into all that here. I think the most important section starts in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That was 1 Corinthians 5. Zach, what leapt out to you from that text? Well, let's talk about this text in light of how you started off this this chapter in our podcast. We are to give grace to newcomers, but have certain expectations and rules for members of the church. Okay. I have a coworker who summarized this really well last week, essentially the the church for a long time, the message has been come as you are, but Jesus is not going to leave you that way. If you only have one of those, okay. If you have the, oh, just come as you are. It doesn't matter. Jesus accepts everyone. It's just, it's fine. You can just be your authentic self and just stay true to who you are. All are welcome here. Yeah. If, if you only have that, then people remain in sin. On the other hand, if you have the, you know, Jesus is not going to leave you that way, then you have this constant legalistic pressure to perform. 
and to not confess your sin, but hide it because it's all about reputation. So, you know, there has to be grace and truth, in other words. And total side note here, I am so thankful for the ministry of Young Life because that is how I came to know the Lord in high school because it was very much this both and kind of approach. Um, Young Life tries to reach kids that would not darken the door of a church. And that was me and in high school. In fact, I'm just really embarrassed to think about the kind of person I was in high school and the way I acted in Young Life meetings at times. They wanted us to keep coming. They wanted kids like me to be there to hear the gospel because I was the kind of person that needed to hear the gospel. (laughs) In a prayer meeting, in a business meeting, would you maybe have some different expectations? Okay. But are we talking about expectations of, yeah, the clothing people wear, the beliefs they bring in with them? Or are we talking about behavior? Because sure, have some behavioral standards for a church. I mean, obviously, if someone comes into a church and tries to physically harm people, well, you would stop that. If someone comes in and verbally abuses people, emotionally abuses people, okay, you're going to stop that. But someone coming in with wrong beliefs signified by certain things they wear, well, if they're not reaching that. We actually had something like this, though, happen when I was in college where there was a um, a splinter group of Christianity. This is not one of the major ones you've heard of. This was a very minor one, which I don't even want to name it uh, because I don't want to give them any oxygen. But it's an um, actual Christianity, or arguably no, no, a cult. No, no. no okay. it was a, it was very much a cult. Okay, all right. So somebody's house church gone awry, or something like that. Okay, yeah, it's a little bigger group than just our college town. But um, anyway, I don't even want to get into this group. But basically, they sent two of their missionaries into our college service and tried to evangelize people like before and after the service and our, oh, that takes guts. Okay. Yeah, Not our, in a great way. And our college pastor knew who these guys were and went up to him and said, this is not okay. You, you can't come into our church and preach a, di- a different gospel. Correct. Uh, yes. If you want to meet people on campus, that's fair game. That that's an open forum. Uh, our college church is not an open forum for you to come preach another gospel. So Sure have behavioral standards like that. But let's imagine those two, you know, cult missionaries uh, just came in and listened. And, you know, and and maybe they even wore, uh, they didn't have like the name tags, like you might be thinking they, anyway, these guys had a very particular way of dressing and uh, you could spot them. (laughs) But let's say they had, you know, a symbol of their, whatever, their weird cult. Would the pastor kick them out? No. If they're just sitting there listening respectfully, then fine. It was about the behavior. So with the chosen set, is this guy preaching that gospel at other cast and crew? Well, I don't know that. It, is he putting it into the the shots that he makes or the actors portraying this? I've never seen anything like that in the actual show. So yeah, we're, we're talking about, and what again there, we're talking about working on a Christian story and a product. Right, which is different from different from the local church. Yeah, different Zach, from the you, local church. Yeah, you, well, you've drawn a distinction between, for example, someone with a false belief or even wearing the symbol of a false belief who comes into the church and is just there listening, not being disruptive, not trying to yeah. climb onto the stage, just just listening. Uh, that is different, though, from, for example, platforming someone who's sure. there to teach false teaching. Uh, by the way, uh, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 actually references in verse 4, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us to slavery. So the Apostle Paul takes a very dim view of even uh, spies among the congregation. 
But even then, what are you going to do? Throw them out? You know, that kind of gets a little Orwellian there. Uh, if they're just there to listen, then fine, listen, and maybe the Holy Spirit will move you to conviction. Well, but, right. Do, do we do we trust the Holy Spirit to work? Right. Yeah. You but know, that, the, that's what a lot of this comes down to that. Yes. Well, in this case, though, I, I think I understand where people either uh, see the the harm or have personally seen the harm of a Christian church that platforms non-believers. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Lacey and I once went to a, a work picnic where somebody was there, very, very young person, you know, kind of your you know, traditional evangelical uh, uh, preconception stereotype about a heathen. You know, she had piercings all over the place, right? And very nice young lady, but she was in the worship band at the city's biggest megachurch and was very clearly, by her own anti-confession, not a Christian. Mm-hmm. In that case, why in the world do you have any role shaping the content? Like, I don't even know if I want you deciding where to point the spotlights if it's a big church. Uh, I think if you have any role in shaping the content of the Sunday morning service, you need to be a Christian. Uh, certainly, if you're going to be on stage in any way, you need to be a Christian. And absolutely, if you're going to be a teaching pastor, you must be not only a Christian, but a Christian who has a lot of standards to live up to, uh, outlined in First Timothy 3 and elsewhere. Uh, members of the church, too, by scriptural parameters, must be confessing Christians. I think. You ought to even go through biblical training, even some testing and and some quizzing by the elders if you want to join the church. Don't just show up. Don't just raise your hand. I know Christians have different views on this, and they don't want to narrow the gate any more than it's already narrow, but the gate is supposed to be narrow. You ought to have rules that you're abiding by to join a church as opposed to just showing up. Uh, The standards are supposed to be high. And so I think then if you are part of a church that has those kind of boundaries and, and you see how they work or at least should work, then I understand where you would want to see those boundaries everywhere. They make you feel secure. They make you feel safe. Or uh, if you've seen a church that hasn't had those boundaries and then you know, somebody got in, not just to spy or to spread false teaching, but to do instances of abuse, then it would make you an e- even more sense that you'd want to see those boundaries along with anybody who claims to be a Christian doing a thing. But as we'll see in our second chapter, Scripture is also clear, even right here in 1 Corinthians 5, that the Apostle Paul rightly anticipates there will be different expectations in the world and how Christians interface with people in the world. Uh, World expectations are very different. And yet, Zach, even in the church, and we'll talk about how this applies to Christian creative enterprises in a moment, but even in the church, uh, if you said, well, we're, we're only going to allow Christians to join, that's right. But certain denominations will also have other distinctives that they want people to agree with. They don't have the authority to say you're in or out of the big capital C church uh, that is across all good denominations. Uh, They also have distinctives they're going to want you to agree with. For example, if you're going to join a Presbyterian church uh, or a theologically conservative Methodist church or a Lutheran church or Baptist church, any of those denominations, they're going to expect that you'll be okay if we sprinkle the babies every once in a while. You're going to be okay if we raise our hands and um, have a little glossolalia in the congregation. There's different ideas that Christians have, so it actually gets even more complicated there. It gets even more complicated when you're saying, well, for a creative production, Christians should only hire other Christians. In that case, one is led to wonder, well, what type of Christians? There's all kinds of wacko Christians out there, especially when you get into uh, creative work and the performing arts. Yeah. Now, here's something that really brought all this into focus. Two of the actors who had become very outspoken, the the work with The Chosen, 
they were defending the crew member with the pride flag. They were defending, I guess, other cast members that have same sex attraction or they, you know, they, they came out and used a slur against conservative Christians that's often used. Uh, well, they have now put out apology videos and said, look, I, you know, I'm sorry how I came across to it. We love our fans. You know, we, we know the beliefs of our core, you know, fans and we're sorry for saying those things to you while at the same time still being honest, like this is who I am or this is who I am friends I with. Wanna, or, I just want to love people. Yeah. yeah. Well, one, one actor said, I, I'm a Christian myself, but either a new Christian or just a different sort of Christian, you know, he just wants to love people and maybe he'd be what they're now calling affirming. Well, in that case, that is not a Christian belief. And if you took that belief to its logical conclusion, then I think it would overthrow your confession of faith. So Stephen, the other thing I noticed when those videos came out from the chosen actors is that a lot of people said, well, that's great that they apologized for how they went after fans, but what they really need to do is repent. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, I mean, yes, I would, I would hope everyone would repent and accept Christ if they don't know him yet, but is that a requirement to stay in the cast? Is that a requirement to stay on the crew? Is that a requirement for us to not boycott them and keep watching, well, then that's sort of putting different rules on a TV show that we would ever put on a show. That's, that's more the rules that we would put in the church. And so again, I think it's sort of that blurring of the lines where some fans and critics are like, Hey, this TV production should act like a church. Exactly. And in the epistles, not just first Corinthians chapter five, but all across the epistles, you do have, and Christians can debate exactly where the lines are, but you do have very clear definitions for church behavior versus what you expect of the world. And we'll get to that in chapter two, especially talking about what the Apostle Paul says about the world, kind of on the way to talking about the boundaries within the church. However, let's go to our second episode sponsor, the Author Conservatory. Are you a Christian student who loves writing but thinks it could never go anywhere because you've been told that writers can't make any money? Well, you've been told wrong. The Author Conservatory provides an alternative to the starving artist by training students to become entrepreneurs and writers at the same time. This three-year college alternative program offers personal coaching from industry professionals like Kara Swanson, Steve Lobby, S.D. Grimm, and Katie Phillips, along with mentorship from successful entrepreneurs so you can own your writing craft and create a realistic business plan. To learn more and apply for a free consultation, simply visit authorconservatory.com. Zach, chapter two, we're going to talk about the world as opposed to the church, uh, the world that the Apostle Paul referenced uh, near the end of 1 Corinthians 5. This is a world that does need gospel grace. It does need the church's call to repent and believe in Jesus, but it is ruled by sin, whereas in the church, you don't expect to run into unrepentant uh, sexual sinners or any other kind of sinners the greedy or the swindlers or any of those types of guys. Uh, this is the type of place where you can expect to see those things not repented of. Uh, Paul says so in verse nine of first Corinthians five, when he says, I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he says in verse 10, this is the most important verse for this topic, not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. Now, right there, you get more than a hint that the Apostle Paul believes that's an absurd conclusion that we need to go out of the world just to avoid the sexually immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. We cannot avoid the world's sexually immoral people because 
as Christians in the world, again, not in the church, not as church members, we're going to encounter those people. The Apostle Paul assumes we're going to associate with them in some way. We're going to be colleagues with them. Uh, we're going to be on the same nonprofit boards, maybe. Uh, we're going to be mingling with them in a theme park or at a regular park. Uh, they may be wandering into the church and not be members, but the Apostle Paul assumes that we're going to be associating with these people. He assumes that the world is darker, the world is different from the church, and yet this world needs us there. Now, here the Apostle Paul is not talking about cultural clashes with non-believers, uh, much less talking about Christian influence in lawmaking or culture making. That's a different topic. The Apostle Paul is making this point on the way to talking about what the limits should be on unrepentant sinners within the church. So again, it's on the way to making that larger point. Uh, elsewhere in scripture, you do get the prophecy and you cannot do what Christians call over-realizing the eschatology. There's a prophecy that yes, someday the world will be one great big church. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth. It will be redeemed. Uh, the church will basically colonize the planet. There will not be any non-believers left. Everybody will be either repentant and joining the church uh, under Jesus Christ, loving him more than their sin, or they will be mm, someplace else. But that day has not yet come. So we do not, in, to some extent, expect the world to behave like the church, which is why, Zach, I, I think it is ultimately an absurdity to expect then that non-believers, even if they are working for a Christian employer, uh, should have those expectations. Well, of course, they're going to behave like Christians. Of course, they're going to uh, want to repent of their sins. And I'm thinking, oh, critic, uh, that person doesn't need to just repent of flying the wrong kind of flag or, or picking on a fan base on the social media. Uh, if they're not a believer, then the first thing they need to do is repent of being dead in sins and receiving Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. And the second point then becomes, okay, if you're going to be so evangelistic, uh, trying to do your job as a Christian shining light in the world, uh, being the church yet active in the world, then is this the best way to do it? to expect these non-believers to just conform their behavior to the church, even though they are not members of your church uh, and never claim to be members of your church. Uh, what's the rationality in that? Yeah, this is such an interesting passage, Stephen, because in the next chapter, Paul talks about those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that's what some of you were. You were caught up in sexual sin before you knew Christ. And now you are a new creation, so stop living in that because that's not your identity anymore. That's not who you are. That's not what rules you. You have a new master in Jesus Christ. So someone who has gone back to that sin, or or and he lists several other ones that you know we won't get into all of that. Uh, but he lists idolatry, for example. That that's another big one uh, because a lot of people came from idolatry, and. If you are returning to that sin, it's it's sort of like the proverb a dog returning to its vomit. You know, that that may be the sign of a false believer. It may be the sign of a very carnal, hard-hearted believer that needs to repent. But this is a hard passage when you think about it. Because if you've got a brother in Christ that has gone back to living that way, well, you're supposed to take some time away from them. I mean, it Paul even says, with such a man, do not even eat. Now, he is talking about a pretty severe case of this, of a man that has taken his stepmother home, or I hope it's the stepmother. Like I, It's, it's something nasty, know. but it is yeah. the Corinthian church, and the, the Corinthian, that was like what Boy, happened at, in Corinth didn't stay in Corinth. <laughs> they were getting drunk at communion. I mean, boy, I, I've never 
once heard of that at a church. Yeah, this is a church with some severe problems. And Paul lists a rather severe solution. You've got to quarantine that person, but not to shun them, ultimately for their good, so that they would eventually repent. And then in 2 Corinthians, he talks about restore the repentant brother. There's another aspect of all this, though, which is 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? So we, we've probably, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard the phrase, don't be unequally yoked. Often this is applied to close friendships or dating relationships or marriage. Paul talks about that in great detail in 1 Corinthians 7. But Stephen, I wonder if this applies here to creative ventures, to business practices. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in chapter three. But, you know, do you have to sort of hold a non-believer who is caught in these sins at arm's length to an extent like, it, is there a kind of inner boundary after which you shouldn't allow someone like this into your life as a believer? Because if you're going to, well, separate from a believer who is caught in these sins, how deep can a friendship go with, with a non-believer? Right. I think the biggest point here is that these issues call for careful discernment. These are wisdom issues in what is meant by how you understand the Apostle Paul assuming that to some extent in the world you are going to be associating with idolaters and greedy people and even the sexually immoral. That doesn't mean you participate in their sin. The Apostle Paul is very clear about that. But what is meant there by association or whatever the original Greek term would have been? Uh, This calls for wisdom, and Christians are going to have different takes on that. For example, you could take a derivative of this text or an application and say, well, if I vote for XYZ, then I'm associating with them. Well, is this the uh, uh, unequal yoking uh, that's described in 2 Corinthians that we're not supposed to do? Uh, or is this simply the association that the Apostle Paul describes here? I think that in general, Christians can come to different conclusions on that. But the most important thing to do is not to levy the expectation, often the unproven, simply assumed expectation uh, that Christians are, are, must impose the rules of a church on top of someone who never claimed to be part of the church, uh, isn't part of your church, maybe they're part of some other wacko church, or maybe, like I said earlier, maybe they are a legit baby Christian who just got here, or maybe they are a Christian who's going through some stuff. Uh, Maybe you're a Christian actor, for example, who's been in the world a long time and been in the acting profession a long time. And I'm looking forward to our next episode uh, when y'all are talking maybe about some of the challenges that Christians in the performing arts will run into. The performing arts, uh, particularly theater, visual arts, that kind of thing, will attract certain kinds of personalities and thus endorse certain kinds of temptations. There's a certain personality type that shows up in performing arts, and they're often brilliant at what they do. Uh, It's a very high-risk, high-reward type of profession, and we'll describe some in Chapter 3 about exactly how Christians are supposed to get good at this without learning from non-believers. It's simply an absurdity to suggest Uh, That you can simply, I don't know, go out and get a book from the world's libraries and then read up and then decide, okay, I know now how to act. I know now how to make a movie. No, these things are not taught through books. These things are taught on the job. Uh, Christians are going to have to associate to some extent, even with an idolater, uh, even with someone wearing a flag that we know represents a kind of sexual immorality. Uh, Whether you let them fly that flag on your set, though, 
uh, or how these rules apply to like a, a Christian publishing house or conference or something. We'll explore that some in chapter three. But any other thoughts on that before we move on, Zach? You know, the, the first time I ever heard people talk about this was back in college. I had a friend that said, I can't shop at Albertsons anymore because I found out that they're owned by the LDS church. And I thought, oh, okay. So you're, you're concerned about the money that this grocery store makes going to the mission of the LDS church, which you don't support. So therefore you feel like you're giving money to that mission that you don't agree with. He had that conviction. He wasn't pushing that on me or anyone else. But, you know, right now we're in the season of a lot of boycotts happening. A lot of big brands are getting very politically active in causes that most Christians don't support. And it's a similar thing is happening now. I'm not going to shop at this store. I'm not going to buy this beverage. I'm not going to go to this sports game because uh, that money is going to causes that I don't support. Is, is there a problem with that? I, I don't think so. I, I think you said the right term though, Stephen. It's a matter of wisdom and discernment because the, there's not really a hard and fast rule about this. Like how, how are we to do commerce in a world that is, especially when Christians are increasingly in the minority? I mean, earlier today I was talking with some friends about Christians in other countries in the world that are closed countries, quote unquote, you know, where, where Christians only know a handful of other Christians. You don't really have a choice of going to a Christian business. <laughs> Everywhere is a non-Christian business. I think that is a luxury belief that Christians have as they simply assume that if you know exactly where to look, you can only work with Christians. I think that's rather absurd uh, to apply to, for example, the set of a Christian television show, assuming that you think we ought to have these kinds of shows. There's this notion that, yeah, if you really, really try, you can just work with Christians. But then how much further does it go? Uh, what do you, I think, really mean deep down when you say that is first, you're an armchair quarterback. You don't know what it takes to make one of these shows. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. But secondly, I think what people are secretly wanting is, well, they should be only working with the right types of Christians. Okay, but now you're going even further away from the definitions around a local church. But I read this hilarious story years ago. Actually, a friend of mine told it to me. It says, a man was walking across a tall bridge one day and saw a second man in the middle of the bridge, standing on the edge, looking like he was about to jump off. So he ran over. Stop. Don't do it. Why shouldn't I? The second man said. Well, there's so much to live for, he said. Like what? Well, are you religious or an atheist? He said, religious. Me too. Are you a Christian? He said, yes. Me too. Are you Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant? He said, Protestant. Me too. What kind of Protestant? Baptist. Wow, me too. What kind of Baptist? Baptist Church of God. Me too. <laughs> are you original Baptist Church of God? Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed ba Baptist Church of God. Okay, great. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Confession of 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Confession of 1915? <laughs> 1915. Ah! Die heretic scum. He pushes him off the bridge. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a yeah. lot of people pushing a lot of other people <laughs> off of the bridge, off the bridge, which is absurd because, okay, maybe you don't let that person who held to the wrong year confession in your church. It's okay. It's perfectly fine to have a denomination. We're on the record supporting those things. Uh, but then to convey that then to a TV set or, or a writer's conference or, or any kind of Christian owned business. Uh, that is both absurd uh, and ineffective, but even worse, it's just not biblical. Uh, this is not your local church. You're trying to, again, project the force field around the world. 
where it doesn't belong. Uh, another thought, Zach, before we move to chapter uh, three, uh, lest I come across as if I'm saying, well, you can't expect anything of a non-believer because they're from the world. Yes, you absolutely can. Do you know why? Because we have this thing called the civil authority or the mm. magistrate, as the Apostle Paul described. Hey, you're, the Apostle Paul's our buddy on these issues. He had to do a lot of thinking on the fly as this uh, fledgling faith based on Jesus Christ was finding its way into a pagan culture. What happens then when it catches up to the rulers here and there? The centurion is going to apply it differently. Uh, the miller or the tent maker is going to apply it differently. What happens when it goes to Rome and you start getting high government officials getting saved? They're going to have to work through these issues. So there's a long history of Christians trying to work through these issues. But we do know in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul has a long thought out philosophy about the civil authority having certain rights that are gifted him by God. So I think the Christian who's interfacing in the world has that at his back. You can expect non-believers to, for example, not kill you or not abuse your children or not kidnap your children. This one's for you, California legislators. <laughs> There's other bad laws out there that we can oppose as Christians, and that would lead into all kinds of different directions. But uh, yeah, it's a little more nuanced than simply expect high standards of the church and expect nothing from the world. Uh, you can at least expect the world to go along with a basic morality that has been informed by biblical Christianity, but is not the same as local church membership expectations. Right. Well, let's take another sphere, the public school system. This is run by the people for the people. Parents have every right to go speak at a school board meeting and say, hey, wait a minute. This is supposed to be a neutral space where religion is not pushed by the state onto the children. But a lot of the stuff that you're saying about racial identity, sexual identity, this is kind of functioning like a religion. This is a very mystical, Gnostic type of belief system that isn't based in science. It isn't based in observable facts. It's just kind of something you've made up that you're telling everyone they have to adhere to or they're a terrible person. So you've put this moral dimension to it now. Well, that not only does that not uh, match up with our beliefs as Christians, you've, you're putting your own beliefs on them. So you can have those beliefs. That's fine. But you can't tell children that they must believe this or must play by these rules because we have a higher set of rules in this country, which are in the Constitution. So yeah, absolutely, Stephen. You know, we can't expect non-believers to act like believers, but in shared spaces where there is an established rule set, we can expect them to adhere to that rule set. Absolutely. And in a country that is governed by laws or your constitution, uh, whatever that looks like in your country, faithful listener, uh, it is okay to expect the authorities to obey the authorities over them. And again, we have the example of the Apostle Paul, who, although he was being persecuted, beaten, thrown in jail unjustly, things like that, he would put up with it for a while, but then he would get sick of it and stand up and say, folks, I'm a Roman citizen, and you all are in deep, deep trouble. And they would feel the heat from that, which is appropriate for the Apostle Paul to have those expectations of non-believers. And yet, Zach, I agree with you that Christians can uh, lobby, try to persuade other people uh, to keep things as neutral as possible or not to impose illegally a religion on top of us. Uh, you then see Christians, certain Christians, like the showrunner of The Chosen, trying to be as much as possible consistent in their application. If they expect as Christians to have free speech uh, in a workplace, then it seems they want to give the same right or acknowledge the same right 
for unbelievers, different believers, other religious practitioners, or even uh, sexual activists. And we'll get to that in chapter three. However, we need to touch on our third sponsor for this episode, which is us, Lorehaven, and specifically the Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge. We've just launched this. Summer is here, and we have the announcement that we've launched the Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge. If you love Christian-made fantastical fiction and you want something different than what the library might offer this summer, this challenge is for you. We want this challenge to bring friends and families together over a shared love of old classics and new favorites. Lorehaven has found a story to inspire you, whether you're a busy young professional looking for beach reads, a student needing summer break reading material, or a harried homeschooling mom trying to keep the kids' shelves stocked. You can get more info at our news story about this. Link in the show notes. We've also just posted our massive review recommendation list. LG McCary went through and she sorted every single one of our reviews by age and by genre. You can find a story to read and enjoy with or without your kids. Uh, that we have read already and that we recommend at Lorehaven. All those links in the show notes. Zach, chapter three. Uh, this is where it gets even more complicated because we've already talked about the expectations of a local church with membership, with platforms, uh, and with even higher expectations for teaching elders and other leaders in the church. And then we've talked about the second space, uh, generally the world, where although we have civil law and other shared expectations with people, uh, the epistle writers assume that we're going to be associating with idolaters and heathens and poltroons all over the place in the world, and we're not to expect local church behavior from them, even if we do expect rational uh, behavior in obedience to uh, our secular laws. But this is a third space. It's not quite the church and not quite the world, and I would say that this is closest to what the chosen is doing. Uh, the Chosen is not a church or even specifically a nonprofit ministry. It is a business. It is a for-profit business, although it acts like a ministry, and they're obviously making a show about Jesus, and they want to get people saved, at least insofar as the Christian creatives who started this thing, it is still a for-profit business. Zach, in the technical glitch uh, between portions of recording the show that we're not going to talk about, I got into a dispute with someone on social media who was outraged, outraged, I tell you that the showrunner for The Chosen said, we're a business, we're not a ministry. In his interpretation, this meant that this man was a money-grubbing, greedy parasite, and he was all about the money and not about the gospel. Uh, in fact, he wasn't even a Christian. And me and this other guy, you know, randos helping randos, got onto him and said, um, you are drastically mishearing or spreading lies about this brother whom you do not know. Uh, based on one video that you did not even actually listen to. And he hasn't even watched the show. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly he hasn't watched the show. He doesn't have to. Uh, he can watch the uh, clickbait headline writers about it who've uh, discerned fresh blood in the waters and now the sharks are swarming. And there is an effect here. It uh, caters to people's preconceptions. If something gets too big and too popular, they just decide that that means a priori it must be heretical or compromised in some way. But if they're going to do that, first, you need to get off Twitter. You're going to associate with way worse people <laughs> on the social media. But then also, logically, you can't associate with anybody. I would say, Zach, that if we were to try to adhere to this idea of, of Christians avoiding non-believers in the world, avoiding hiring them for our TV shows or hiring them for our publishers, then, Zach, you and I could not do this podcast. In effect, we have, quote, hired, in quote, certain technological platforms, we are paying them to help distribute the show. Does that mean that they have influence over the content? 
Is uh, someone from uh, WordPress or our web host uh, provider uh, actually interfering with the content of the site? Now, I saw recently that a, a, an old blogging platform called Blogger censored a Christian pastor for writing an Orthodox Christian perspective on certain timely topics. And that's wicked. They ought not do that. In that case, they are interfering with it. And I think that that's against the law and it ought to be held against the law. But in this case, they're not, uh, they're not interfering with the content. Now, some other challenges we've got here. Realmakers is a big uh, friend of the show, a big sponsor of the show. I know for a fact that Realmakers will occasionally have non-Christian folks who have publishing experience there at the conference. I don't think there's a whole lot of confusion as to whether these people are Christians. I, I think it would behoove us to realize that Christians do in these third spaces mingle to some extent and learn from non-Christians. Now, I wouldn't be comfortable, though, if a non-Christian were to partner with a Christian to write a Christian book. In that case, it's similar to the idea of a local church of inviting some heathen on the platform to help you preach the sermon. Not a great idea. Christians alone ought to be preaching sermons in Christian churches. But Realmakers is not a church. The Chosen is not a church. And any other company that kind of mingles Christians along with cultural Christians or cultural conservatives, like, for example, of the Daily Wire or other websites where the these kind of mix together, uh, we've got to figure out how we interface with those groups because otherwise we're just going to end up picking on one thing like the chosen and ignoring all the other circumstances in which we ourselves as Christians hire non-Christians or even work creatively with non-Christians, uh, even if they're not actually shaping or compromising uh, any of the creative work that we're doing. I want to go back to something you said about this weird comment someone made about, oh, Dallas Jenkins is all about the money for making The Chosen a for-profit business. So do we say that about anything else? Like any other kind of Christian business? Oh, they're all about the money. They should just be a nonprofit tradesman or... <laughs> You know, nonprofit uh, computer manufacturer. Yeah, I'd love to show them the skullduggery that goes on in nonprofits as well. Humans are going to human, and we've heard of plenty of big churches or Christian organizations yeah. uh, that have uh, fallen on spikes uh, because of some terrible corruption of the leadership. Well, I, I think this just goes to the fact that we don't really know what to make of the chosen yet collectively because what we have been used to for the last 40 years is either nonprofits, ministries, churches making Christian content that's faithful, or the secular world, Hollywood, making really bizarre adaptations of the Gospels or Christian stories or the Bible stories, or getting it mostly right, but eh, kind of weird at times. Like, I know a lot of people had problems with the Passion of the Christ uh, just because of the weird demon baby scenes or. Uh, just at being excessively violent, um, or just being in another language. <laughs> but most of the, you know, mostly people liked it. But the chosen is in this weird new category of first of all, it's not a direct adaptation of the gospels, like the visual Bible did the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. Yeah, and the Gospel of John was pretty good, but yeah. Jesus was also pretty white. Yeah. And I mean, that's who you've got for your talent pool, right? Right. A British guy. Yeah. Yeah, because that's where he filmed it. You right. know? So you know, the original Jesus film that came out in 1979, I believe, that was the uh, Gospel of Luke. Again, just a pretty literal retelling of that. The Chosen is doing the sort of in-between-the-lines uh, interpretation of, you know, why was the miraculous catch of fish such a big deal to Peter? 
What was Matthew doing before he was a tax collector? How could those two events be correlated? It's a lot of what if. It's a lot of imaginative storytelling that is not contradictory to the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. But it's also not being presented as new revelation or new canon. Um, It's just imagining what else could have happened and how could we kind of string together what else we know from the Gospels and particularly from the epistles. How can we sort of, you know, reverse engineer that into these new stories? But it's being made by a for-profit company. Now, are they just trying to get as much money as possible and, you know, bamboozle all these uh, Christian suckers out there? Well, no. (laughs) Um, There's this great quote by Walt Disney where he said, I'm not making movies to make money. I'm making money to make more movies because I love making movies. And I very much see that at work with The Chosen. Yes, they're fundraising. Yes, they're getting distribution deals with Lionsgate and CW and and others uh, because they're trying to produce, what is it, eight seasons, I think, Stephen, of this show? I thought it was seven seasons. Why would they go to seven? seven, No, it's got to be seven because seven is the number of (laughs) completion. That's the holy number, yes. Yes, and in the seventh season, The Chosen filmmakers rested. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the kind of uh, superstition, I think, that can creep in, Zach, when people are having their categories blown up and they're not sure how they feel about that. Uh, The Chosen is being made in a third space. It's Christians operating in a public uh, for-profit business using Christian crew members and non-Christian crew members alike. And sometimes the non-Christian crew members will convert to Christ as a result. Uh, There's although, three of unfortunately, them have. Yeah, yeah uh, and that's on the books. Uh, that's kind of a matter of record right now. Uh, actors can convert, you guys, uh, even though it's almost always to the wrong denomination. Uh, <laughs> in that case, are they even the, really the saved? 1815 Baptist uh, Yeah, and, well, look, guys, you know, I, I'm a confessional Reformed <laughs> Baptist here, uh, and yet I'm perfectly fine with other denominations. If it helps you, just say that God predestined them and be done with it. <laughs> just bring in the fatalism at this point. It can oh, only wow. help. It can only, oh, really, God it predestined helps. you to be an Armenian. Absolutely, yeah. he did. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, the Calvinists would get even more out of control. It, it's, it's a get <laughs> out of quandary free card that God predestines these things so that he's always in charge and large and epic. Uh, and you can't, uh, you can't exceed his will. Again, I'm my buddy, the Apostle Paul, arguing this in Romans 8 to 9, and I'm just going to end it right there. I can understand, though, um, the imaginations of people getting short-circuited, and then suddenly they start babbling like a robot in a 60s movie, uh, smoking from the ears, saying things like, blup, blup, he must not be a Christian, blup, blup, he's a heretic, blup, blup, he's just greedy. I, I don't mean to completely roast a person like that, but you know, there is an issue of sin here, uh, and I think it's right to call these people to stop slandering and repent. Uh, even on social media, like we've got to stop Christians from lying about popular culture. It's just gross. I mean, Christians shouldn't lie on, on social media at all or, or lie and slander at all. But I'm also empathetic when people are concerned that the gospel message will get garbled or ignored or rejected. And then you start hearing a bunch of rumors about uh, a Christian publisher or a Christian organization or a Christian movie maker who's working with a lot of non-Christians. And here's another thing, people who aren't Christians, but who think they are like the LDS organization, doctrinally, they're not Christians. Individuals, I don't know. People can come up with some weird hybrid ideas, and then maybe the Holy Spirit will move even if they stay in the Mormon church, but logically they shouldn't. I'll just go ahead and go there. I know it gets confusing, and I understand that people get really frustrated about that, but I think we've got to look to the ethics of Scripture about 
what a Christian-owned business should be doing. Yeah. And what it should not be doing is the job of the church. You don't want a local church acting like a business. That is gross. You don't want a local church acting like a movie maker, and then suddenly you're in church to put on a big show. That is also gross. Why then would you reverse the expectations and mm -hmm. expect the Christian business that exists to make a show to act like the local church? Keep the local church the local church. Keep a business yeah. making movies a business making movies. Yeah. Well, and let's go to scripture right now. So Matthew 20, uh, verse 25 through 27, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. So Dallas Jenkins addressed this in his recent video saying that, look, I, I tend to be very libertarian in terms of workplace rules. So people can express and, and believe and talk about their own faith or lack thereof or other beliefs. I'm not going to, you know, put a speech policy out there for what they personally say, what they personally wear, or what they personally type out on social media. Now, having said that, I can tell that he's had some conversations with them because they put out those apology videos. Yes, and I was very much hoping he would, but he he even yeah. said the word wisdom in his video, Zach. Yeah. yeah, wisdom. That's the question of wisdom. Right. You may be a naive Christian, professing Christian, or even a non-Christian who's like, suddenly wants to go out and defend people's identities. Like, well, that is not a biblical approach well, to this thing. And you can tell the difference in him having that more open-handed approach because those videos the actors put out, they were very heartfelt. It wasn't just yeah. a robotic HR fed script that they were reading. It's like, Hey, I shouldn't have said these things and let me tell you what I value and, you know, and just trying to work through this yeah. like a and human I, I, being. I love our fans. I didn't in a mean conversation. to imply so-and-so. Yeah. yeah, it was wonderful. And I really would love to see that from certain uh, Disney Plus Star Wars streaming show people right. implying or directly claiming that if you didn't like the show or the show's characters, that meant you're a hateful bigot. Now, let's compare this to another situation that just came out. There was a baseball player, a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a Christian pitcher named Anthony Bass, and he came out and endorsed these uh, Christian boycotts of Bud Light and Target. I guess some of the players or the, the managers of the team got really upset with him and then basically put him in this hostage video <laughs> where he was apologizing for that. And then they decided to double down on humiliating him by making him throw the first pitch at the Pride Night for the Blue Jays. and then they decided to pull him off the roster entirely. Oh, I didn't hear that last so bit. They I don't hear the part down. where they went out there. That that is yeah, you right? know, you know, that that is just that is just salting the earth intellectual colonization there. Yeah. Like do we want to act that way towards non-Christian employees? Come on guys. Yeah. This is we do not want to act that way in our own businesses towards non-believers that we employ and that work hard and work faithfully to us. That is totally unchristlike to act that way. So right. no, we shouldn't ever do that. I, I agree. Uh, and w one can disagree with some of what uh, Dallas Schinken says or what the owner of a Christian publisher or other Christian business says. You don't need to agree with everything yeah. they say, but I think it is a great instinct, whether you call it libertarian or otherwise, to try to be fair to your employees. And by the way, Zach, 
uh, that is probably working under the limits of the law, by the sure, way. Sure, the civil rights law. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure that if you're running a for-profit business, then you can administer a religious test, as it were, yeah. uh, to your employees. Uh, no, in fact, that's what Christians have rightfully been complaining about uh, in secular companies when HR is trying to get you to conform uh, to the image of a particular sexual or religious revolution. We don't want that imposed on Christians. Uh, ultimately, you know, most of us would just like to be left alone to practice our own religion. Thank you very much. Well, in that case, what is good for the goose is good for the gander. And it is a good impulse to try to spread that equally among your people. I think also, Zach, that there is a an, 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 an very real evangelistic motive there. Uh, if you are in the arts or you're a struggling TV actor and you get this job on what you know is a, a Christian television show about Jesus, or let's or let's broaden this out. Let's say you're a secular agent who is invited to go to a Christian writers conference or uh, a Christian led writers conference. Don't you want then uh, as a Christian to give that person not just a positive experience and not just, oh, I'm going to be the good Christian and assume they've only re- met rotten, bigoted, you know, right wing Christians. I'm going to be the good cop. I'm going to be the nice, nuanced Christian. Not necessarily. I, I think that uh, that's a little too much. Uh, how do you do fellow secular <laughs> yeah but i think you do want to be like christ you want to be welcoming and decent and human uh and a actual good witness to that person and yes i do believe that being a good witness means that you're not going to try to shut down that person if they have uh, a symbol on their luggage or even a flag from their camera that you don't agree with now mm-hmm. does the flag need to get in the show absolutely not does the ideology need to get in the show no but a cameraman isn't hired to write the script for the show. He is hired to film the action well. And even an actor has not been hired uh, to believe the lines that he's saying. Right. His job is to make you believe that he believes the line that he is saying. He's not actually from the first century, you guys. Uh, he grew up in Burbank, and that is a costume. <laughs> that short circuits people's imagination, but this is a performance. You've got to understand that. It is not sorcery. Well, I worked on this short film set and a guy told my uh, coworker, he's like, they hired me from the neck down, <laughs> you know, he's, he's there to hold lights and move things around. He's not there to do all the critical thinking that goes into screenwriting and, and continuity and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I'm here from the neck down. And I just thought that was a great, uh, great phrase, but you know, there's, there's one other complaint, I guess that I've seen that I, I do resonate with and it's why didn't Dallas just hire Christian actors and crew members? Like, come on, where, you know, where are all these people? And I'm like, Hey, I'm asking the same question. Where are the Christians in film, in the arts? Like, why aren't we sending more of those? Well, we got to be part of the solution. We got to encourage our friends, family members, our children, our church members, maybe commission people to be missionaries to this field. If we really think it's that dark, and unreached, then let's put this in the missions budget. How about send, send Christians to uh, an LA film school or something? Oh, I don't know if it needs to go that far. <laughs> we don't, for one well, thing, it, it, well, because it's the 21st century and the chosen <laughs> and many other creative endeavors are proving that you don't have to be in the Hollywood stew in order to make something great. Well, in but fact, you got to learn, you got to learn these, these are highly specialized skills. Yeah. So go to the LA film school and then get the heck out of there before it falls <laughs> into the ocean. 
uh, under the burden of all of these uh, stupid laws they're trying to pass and environmental regs and all that. Now, you can learn from non-believers. And in fact, uh, in, you and your wife are going to talk about this, I believe, in our next yeah. episode. It is inevitable that Christians who want to make great creative works are going to need to learn from non-believers. Whether you invite them to your production set or your conference or maybe even guest lecture at your publisher, for example, uh, they have some common grace, wisdom, and intelligence given to them by God to share. It doesn't mean they're Christians, but it does mean they know some stuff. You're going to learn from them one way or another. And while you're learning from them, you may as well employ them. And that can be a terrific opportunity, not just to make a really great show if they're doing their job well, but also to witness to them. This is pretty typical, by the way. And, and, and I'm surprised, Zach. And again, I just attribute it to tragic backstories. Uh, as well as just some frank ignorance uh, about how Christians are engaged with these kinds of issues, because it only takes a little thought to realize that this is already happening. Christians employ non-believers all the time. Uh, and my go-to example right now is how in the world are you going to build those church buildings otherwise? If your local church has a building, you have paid non-believers who are idolaters and greedy and swindlers and sexually immoral to build that building. They have poured the foundations. They have put up the, uh, the frame. Uh, they have used a crane to hoist the steeple on top. If you don't have a building, you are undoubtedly paying heathens to rent the building that's there. Does that mean that they are interfering with the sermons? No. Could they interfere with the sermons? Yes. And then that's probably illegal. Uh, there's been instances where governments, for example, are trying to do that. But closer to the ground, Imagine uh, the construction crew that's putting together uh, the building that became your local church building. If a construction worker uh, hits his hand with a hammer on the roof and he says a word we can't say on Fantastical Truth, would you fire him for failing to live up to the standard of a local church? Okay, I think a Christian construction worker working on the church roof gets at least one free cuss word. You can overlook that sin, but if it's a pattern of it, uh, well, now I'm suddenly feeling a little convicted here. It's a pattern <laughs> of it. Okay, maybe you need to bring him up for church discipline and ask him how things are at home and what his wife thinks about him. But if it's a non-Christian, you can't expect him to do that. What you can expect him to do, build the roof according to spec and according to the code. That's the only rules that you're expecting of him, but you're not going to fire him. And in fact, it would be a bad witness. You would be putting him off of Christianity, wrongfully so, uh, not because of something the Bible does, but something that you do. Uh, your Bible was probably printed by a sinner, most likely printed by someone who is same-sex attracted uh, or wondering what it's like to be a girl. Or, if he's or actually an atheist a man. in China. Or an atheist in China. Yeah, lots of stuff is getting printed in China. And, and that's not a great government over there, folks. Uh, there's lots of products that Christians are selling. I was talking to one the other day that are made in China. Um, some of those are wisdom issues as well. Uh, but does that mean that you terminate the contract? Uh, will you get into what Zach said earlier, the purity spiral? I, I would call that an unbiblical purity spiral, uh, where you're just constantly second guessing how that product got there. Uh, that is not, by the way, oh, here's our good friend, the Apostle Paul again. That is not how the Apostle Paul taught us to think about stuff like meat sacrificed to idols. If an unbeliever sacrificed the meat to an idol and you don't know it, what you don't know won't hurt you. But if you know something, okay, maybe you need to do something about that. I think it's a little different here. Uh, this is just another example of Christians associating with idolaters in the world, but not in a way that compromises the church. Uh, it is a way that can shine the gospel to them. But even if they die in their sins, uh, 
their sin is not rubbed off on you. And I think we've got to start thinking about these issues rather than assuming uh, like someone did. Uh, I saw Zach, uh, you, you found someone who said they need to just be hiring Christian employees. Like, I don't know what else to say, except gently that is foolish. Churches have not cultivated these industries. Uh, you couldn't get there right now, even if you wanted to, and you're absolutely never going to get there unless you learn from the common grace wisdom in the non-Christian world about how to make a great TV show. Why do we talk so much about a biblical fiction show on fantastical truth? I mean, miracles are fantastical, but biblical fiction is at best a cousin genre. Uh, it's because this show is at the forefront. Yeah. Uh, just within the lifespan of this podcast, it is blown up. And uh, Zach, I'd love to talk uh, with a with a guest coming up in the next few weeks about a podcast called uh, the, the the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Mm. Uh, she had, you know, she's a non-believer, but I'm willing to, and some to some extent, associate with her views, uh, so long as they're aligning with a biblically based or Judeo-Christian morality based defense of of men and women as men and women. Uh, but she's a non-believer, okay? But she does have some wisdom. And one wise thing she said was kind of a defense of the separatist uh, uh, Christians or religious people who are freaking out thinking that Harry Potter was teaching actual witchcraft. Uh, she was very mild about that and said, you know what? It just got so big so quickly that I can understand how that would alarm people. I think that's a lot of this here. If something gets that big that quickly and you've never heard of it before, uh, like there's a whole lot of CW fans right now. Now CW just got done terminating the Arrowverse and the Flash TV show and all that stuff. Uh, so we're disregarding Superman and acquiring Godman because the chosen is going to be on on the CW. Uh, so you know you had all these hot vampire hunters, and now you're gonna <laughs> get hot apostle hunters. <laughs> Some of them are very confused about this like oh that that me oh wow that that means that it's uh it's it's gonna be like this and everybody's gonna be young and handsome now the cw is not making the show uh, they're just going to run the reruns right well and and i think that brings up a lot of skepticism in christians of like well if they're making it that big they must be compromising somewhere because christian movies never make it big because they all stink and how does this one get so good you know well because it's, it's actually really good. Like yeah. it's a really good film. And uh man, all of the um all of the ways that people have tried to tear it down. I mean, it honestly discourages me at times, Stephen, because I'm like, this is why we can't have nice things. Oh, I've said that phrase a few times yeah. about that. Yeah. Except we can have nice things. And and let me just it's it's funny. I'll I'll mention um a later an article that we're having uh, about the series made by the chosen showrunner's dad, Jerry B. Jenkins, who co-author, well, he's actually the primary author of the fiction of the left behind series so so funny that a jenkins gets to make an evangelical phenomenon twice almost in, in as many decades it's kind of weird how that happens have you considered a chosen critic that the holy spirit is moving here now that doesn't mean don't ask questions just shut up it's the holy yeah. spirit we're not going to do that thing that's that's spiritually abusive uh in its worst form but it is possible that god can gift certain creators and place them in such a time as this to make something great, uh, to make something that may have weird fans and stands uh, and some people who will defend the show for bad reasons, like quit being divisive, stop asking questions. But to his credit, uh, Dallas Jenkins, whatever you disagree with him about has never taken that stance. He constantly says, Hey, 
If you disagree with the show, that's fine. But, you know, I feel like this is what I'm called to do. We're going to keep doing it this way. And I'm not going to change everything based on some social media criticism. That's solid right there. But even better is his defense of the gospel. And by the way, his defense of the local church. Now, he didn't talk much about his local church family in this recent video, not the live stream he just did this past weekend, but the video about a week before. But he has talked about that in other videos. And he's encouraged people, hey, if you're going to think about this show, don't base everything you believe about the gospel or about Christianity on this show, because this show is an illustration. It's a dramatization. It is fiction. Listen to your pastor, go to church, talk with your leaders. It's very rare to see anybody from a nonprofit organization like that who gets that big endorse the local church. And I'd love to see more of that. And I wish people would actually pay attention to that rather than constantly trying to read between the lines and figure out what he actually meant. Like that kind of cynicism and suspicion, that is not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. Um, and I, I really think that we ought to rethink that. But this may be something more relevant for you, faithful listener, in the people that you're seeing. I doubt that the, the critics are listening to the show, but hey, Maybe you have a criticism about this topic. Maybe you have a criticism about how we've handled it, or more likely, maybe have a compliment. So email us at podcast at lorehaven.com. Uh, share a comment in the box at lorehaven.com. Tag us on the socials. Uh, I'm going to get in a few more of these discussions, Zach, not just because I'm a big chosen stand. I mean, they could go south tomorrow for season four, and I'd still like what we got, but it's more about a defense against good Christian creativity here. And that's what we're about at Lorehaven, uh, specifically about fantastical stories, but certainly about other cousin genres by our Christian neighbors. Yeah. And look, I, I share a lot of criticism that you have expressed. I think just mild things that you didn't like about the chosen. There's things I didn't like, you know, we, we've, uh, we've joked before about, they, they said a phrase, Oh, that worked like clockwork or something. It's like, well, they wouldn't say clockwork in first century, but then again, they wouldn't speak English. And so, yeah, okay, the King James there, Version still some... had a phrase called fetch the compass. You know, yeah. it's, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's what we call in translation. You call that the paraphrase or a more, um, you know, more non-literal version. Yeah. And, you know, some people don't like the bluegrass style music and I, I can, you know, that resonates with me. It's not my, not my style of music, but Hey, uh, you know, these are all just minor differences of opinion. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna burn the show. Like I want to see it succeed. We, we've talked before about not being support zombies, so I'm not asking anyone to do that, but I think we just have to be fair, you know, and how we go about it because, boy, you know, the, how we evaluate it, how we judge it, how we criticize it, how we talk about it, that's the standard that's going to be applied to us. Exactly. Especially if we start a publisher or something like that and say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to hire Christians. I'm only going to hire Christians. Uh, I think that that is naive and I can understand even if I may have criticisms of a Christian group or publisher uh, who maybe is working with some fake Christians or some non-Christians. There are some legitimate questions to ask there, but I think ask them in good faith. Zach, I like your example earlier about making movies uh, so that you can make more movies. I think there's so much of this that is simply, this is what we've got to do to keep going, you guys. And if it's not sinful, then there's no reason not to do this. I think we assume if somebody gets so big as to have even a small publisher, we just assume there's some kingpin atop a skyscraper somewhere. Not true. They may not even have their own office. They may be working out of their home and their home may be very modest sized. Creative work is difficult. And a lot of the stuff that you're earning goes right back into the production uh, for the next book or the next season. So I want to be sympathetic to that and not just assume that everyone out there 
is rich Uncle Pennybags who just wants to uh, fleece the flock. Uh, I think that that does happen, but I don't think we ought to presume that that's happening. And we ought to be sympathetic about the production process for Christian creative works and ask questions. Dallas Jenkins has been really open about the production process. And so have a lot of publishers uh, that we uh, that we know and support at Lorehaven. Speaking of Lorehaven.com, we have a few mission updates. It's going to be a busy week, uh, starting with a new article from Daniel White IV. Uh, speaking of the Jenkins dynasty, he's written an article called How to Make a Left Behind Streaming Series That's Actually Awesome. Uh, he has four horsemen of recommendations there. Uh, to adapt the Left Behind series faithfully. I think you'll get a kick and uh, also enjoy some of his serious thoughts he's put into there. Next, just in time for Father's Day, we have our first article, actually, from guest writer James R. Hannibal. He's the author of A Wolf Soldier, uh, the uh, creative mind behind the Light Raiders, a discipleship learning adventure. has been on the podcast a few times, and his article is called something like, Yes, Men and Boys Will Read If You Give Them the Right Books. There is some straight fire for good purpose in this article, I'll tell you. And I'm looking forward to publishing this one as well. We are back on the book review bandwagon as well. I just saw a review roll in for Estuary. That was our top sponsor for this episode. So expect to see that this Friday. And then, of course, subscribe free to get Lorehaven updates and join the Lorehaven Guild. Uh, that is the central gathering place for all of your uh, Lorehaven summer reading challenge action. It's our exclusive Discord server. Join up and go on monthly book quests, including our ongoing book quest through the month of June for Frank Peretti's apparently final novel, Illusion. Well, over in the Lorehaven Guild, that's our exclusive Discord server, which you can join by subscribing to our email list. We had a comment from one of our heroes about our previous episode, 165, which was how does science fiction help us escape real world gravity with author B.L. Dean. And this hero of the guild, Mahina, said this, quote, Hey, I really enjoyed this episode. I could listen to you three talk about sci-fi all day, so thanks. Can't wait to read Becky Dean's sci-fi series. I just ordered it through my local, quite liberal bookstore as a sneaky way to get more Christian-made content in there. Sometimes I see things I order appear in the shelves. And also, I just like to support my local bookstore and be a voice in the community. Growing up, I only ever watched secular sci-fi and loved it, but in my recent exploration of Christian-made fantasy and sci-fi, there are some really amazing characters. Of the Christian-made fantasy, if I could be any one of the characters, I'd have to choose between math genius Joe from Simulated, spy and tech expert Raviel from Star-Lore Legacy, or a girl version of Tig from the Star-Lore Legacy. If I have to choose... Of those three, I'd choose Tig, who is like the Samwise character of the Star-Lore legacy, the unsung hero that is just the best and most sacrificial and understanding friend. I want to be like that, loyal, true, and reliable, end quote. Uh, Mahina, that was, a, that was a wonderful comment. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm so glad to hear that those stories have really made a difference and just given you some great heroes to emulate. My wife and uh, oldest daughter have both read um, Calculated, so they're going to be moving on to Simulated pretty soon, the second book from author Nova McBee, and soon to be uh, movie series. So that's, and uh, we're also going through uh, the Star Lord legacy in, in our family. So that's great that you've just blown through all that. Uh, wonderful to hear all that. So thanks so much for writing us. 
to you, our listener, if you have some comments about today's episode, uh, let us know what do you think about this whole venture of making Christian stories with non-Christians? Like what are some of the uh, opportunities, the pitfalls? Uh, how do you see this working out? Send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment on social media. Just look for Lorehaven on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Next on Fantastical Truth, if we as Christians do want to make our own great creative works, we will need to be the ones producing them. That means families need to raise up children to value careers in the arts. What does this look like in practice? Next week, I'm out of town actually, but Zachary Russell will be joined by his wife, Naomi A. Russell, to share how they've been doing this with their own four children. From homeschooling to public school to musical theater and dance classes, they will explore how Christians can better engage faithfully in the world and in the arts. Meanwhile, you should be in a church as a member. Be a member of a local church. Don't get that confused with the world. You are a local church member who should shine gospel light into the world. And if you're a Christian business owner working with non-believers, be kind to them. You may need to let them have some free expression, but don't expect them to behave just like local church members. We do want them, however, to join the local church to glorify Jesus Christ forever as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.